0: Welcome to Beyond the Stacks, a podcast from Westlake Porter Public Library. On this show, we aim to spark your curiosity and take you beyond the stacks and inside all that the library has to offer. On this episode, we're going behind the counter to see what makes the heart of the library tick, the circulation department. Then, we will once again check in with the two errands as they provide some reader's advisory to get you through those winter blues.
1: Hello, this is Heather Feenot, a PR marketing manager at Westlake Porter Public Library, and I'm here with Kim Jenkins.
2: I am one of the circulation supervisors at Westlake Porter Library, and I've been with the library for about seven years now. Kim, how would you define or describe the circulation department? Well, the circulation department is the biggest department we have here at the library. I feel like we are the main hub of the library. We are usually the first group to greet patrons when they enter or even call the library, We direct them to what they're looking for. We also manage patron accounts, daily check-ins, check-outs, billing patron accounts. We empty the book drops, we shelve books, and we also process passports. How would you describe a typical day in the circulation department? Well, in the circulation department, our day begins usually with um, pulling and processing holds that patrons put on items, usually overnight. Um, Usually we have about maybe 50 to 80 holds, or if it's a longer... Time that we're closed, um, the list could be a little bit longer. We start then checking in books that have been brought back overnight, and we try and reshelve them as quickly as possible. What is your favorite time of the day or week? I really do like Monday mornings because I feel like there's a lot of tasks to be done from the weekend, and we're usually pretty busy on Monday morning, and it just is a good way to get started for the week ahead. Let's talk about the actual collection now. As a circ person,
1: can you tell what is popular? based on what you're seeing come in or patron interactions.
2: Yes, definitely. You can always tell what's popular based on what patrons have been requesting or what's being returned and checked out daily. Um, For example, if an author has a new book out, we'll find that we get a lot of requests for their older work. Um, For example, if Colleen Hoover puts a new book out, we'll find that all of her older work is usually put on hold or checked out, and that tends to repeat for any popular author. Also, um, bestsellers are always very popular. Seasonal items, for example, it's the holidays right now. There's always a run on Hallmark movies, Charlie Brown's Christmas, The Grinch, so it really rotates with the seasons. Since you started working
1: here, what are the biggest changes you've seen in trends or how you work?
2: One of the biggest changes is that the library has just become a place not just to check out books. Um, In the seven years that I've been here, the diversity that's been added to our collection is amazing. We now check out Legos, we have Roku sticks, we have an amazing digital collection, we check out mobile hotspots, we have non traditional items. You can check out a ghost hunting kit here, you could check out a banjo here, you could check out a keyboard. We really try and have something for everyone, and that's been um, a big change since I started working here. Now let's talk about some of the
1: returns. What are some of the crazy things that you've actually seen come with the returns or how it's returned?
2: Some of the crazier things that I can mention here would be um, toilet paper, popsicle sticks, band-aids being used as a bookmark, and really it's a surprise. You never know what you're going to find when you open a book, but yeah, there are some interesting things that are are returned inside of books and movies. What are some of the most memorable interactions you've had with a patron? Um, You know, it's always fun when you recommend a book or a movie to a patron and they come back and tell you how much they enjoyed it. Um, It's also fun when patrons, you get to know them and their kids and they ask about how how your family's doing or how their family's doing and you really make friendships outside of the work environment. What do you wish patrons knew? Well, there is a lot of work going on behind the scenes, especially in the Cirque department, and we just want our patrons to know that our goal is for everyone to have a pleasant experience here at the library. Are there any tips you would recommend for patrons? Um, to be patient, we are working with a new computer system right now, and we're sort of getting getting to know that a little bit, so patience and kindness is always a good tip for everyone. What are some of the little tips and tricks that you would recommend to a pa- patron, like um, you should put a book on hold um, like this time? Um, well, one thing that patrons might not know is in our catalog you can find... Um, new items that are coming out. You can put items on hold before they're actually here in the library. So if you know your favorite author has a book coming out this summer, there's a good chance that it's probably in our catalog already for you to put a hold on it. So that way when summer comes and you want that new book, um, you could be closer to the top of the list instead of waiting until when that book comes out. And you might be a little farther down the list. What if I have a hold and I decide I'm not ready for it? We have a great feature and you can suspend your holds. So if your books arrive and you're not quite ready for it, or if you have a lot of books on hold and you know you can't get them all read in that three-week checkout period, just give the circulation department a call and we can manage your account for you so that when you're ready for that book, you'll be at the top of the list and it'll be waiting for you without having to go through the whole holds process again. What type of material is really hot right now? really hot right now it's those holiday those hallmark movies lots of christmas movies hallmark movies those are all really popular i'd say probably into the new year do you ever see a book that never goes back on the shelf because the
1: holds list or because it's so popular
2: oh gosh i remember a few years back where the crawdad sing was one of those books it constantly i feel like for two years had to hold on it What's the most popular book you've ever seen in your whole career? Oh my goodness. I don't know if I know the answer to that question, but there's a good chance if there's a movie out that was made or a Netflix or TV series based on a book, that book is going to be extremely popular and have a lot of holds on it. For example, I could think of the book, The Last Thing He Told Me. That book was published a few years back. However, it was just released on Apple TV and it had a list a mile long of holds on it. Well, I think that's all the questions I have for you. Thank you so much for your time, Kim. Thank you.
3: Change can be scary. Starting a new job, trying the pasta primavera instead of the chicken parm, switching from Coke to Pepsi, and searching in your library's new catalog. You're used to clicking in the same place for specific things and you know where the links to your favorite content is. We get it. But Westlake Porter Public Library took an opportunity to change our library software from an expensive proprietary system to a 21st century technology for libraries. Aspen Discovery is built on an open source platform which means we will have much more ability to customize and enhance the user experience with our catalog and at a fraction of the cost. We are confident that you will find our new catalog a much friendlier and powerful search experience. I hope to not be starting a new job soon. It's unlikely I will ever try the pasta primavera, and I really don't drink soda. But I am embracing the change to Aspen Discovery, and I hope you will too.
0: Now let's check in with the two errands and see what recommendations they have to get us through this Cleveland winter.
4: Welcome back to Stump the Librarian with the two Aarons. Uh, I'm Aaron Spears, young adult librarian here at the library.
5: And I'm Aaron Manning, reader's advisory librarian.
4: Now, getting through Cleveland winters can be tough. We get polar vortexes, snow belts, power failures, the wind chill factor... What better way to read your way through winter months and all that Mother Nature throws at you than reading about situations far worse than our (laughs) own this winter. So we're looking at dystopian fiction this month. uh, Erin, what would you say is a quick definition of dystopian?
5: So dystopian fiction usually focuses on an institution or a society where things might look idyllic on the outside, but they're rotten underneath. Usually that means that there's certain limitations put in place to create what people think will be a perfect society, but it's not.
4: So almost like uh, on the surface maybe utopian, but underneath it's really dystopian Exactly. at some points? Yeah, that sounds, uh, sounds good. It also, as I was digging into this particular genre, I was realizing I think culturally a lot of the more recent, really well-known dystopian seem like they almost all come out of young adult mm-hmm. area. You've got Hunger Games, Divergent, Maze Runner legend. There's one called The Selection that's been really popular the last few years as well, which kind of speaks exactly to what you were just saying about utopian turning dystopian in exactly. the long run. But it seemed like a lot of the classics come from the adult side.
5: Yes. So like, for example, Fahrenheit 451. Sure. Everybody's read that for school. So we're not focusing on that one today, but that's one of the big classics. Or
4: uh, 1984. Oh, Orwell. yeah. yeah.
5: Or um, was it Brave New World?
4: Brave New World. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, yeah, like classics coming out of the adult side, but it seems like the recent trend comes from maybe the uh, the young adult side. Yes. Um, I jokingly refer to the young adult section as being like one-third dystopian, <laughs> <laughs> one-third romance, and then one-third graphic novels at this point. Yes. So, um, Well, do you want to start us off? What have you got from the adult side of the library?
5: Sure. So this first one, um, Titanium Noir by Nick Harkaway, is actually at the top of my to-read list. I'm pretty excited about it. Uh, Detective Cal Sonder is called upon to deal with the most unusual murder case. It seems routine until Cal realizes the victim is well over seven feet tall. Oh. And though he looks like he's 30, he's actually in his 90s. He's a titan, a genetically altered superhuman and one of the society's elites. A dead titan is shocking, but a murdered one is unthinkable. As Cal unravels the complicated threads of what should have been a straightforward case... It soon becomes clear he's on the trail of a crime whose roots run deep into the dark heart of the world.
2: That...
4: Yeah. That's... That's grabbing me on a lot of areas, I think. Right? Yeah, yeah. Is it, um... When is it set? Is it like completely science fiction kind of world, or is it okay?
5: Yeah, the scientists devised a uh, gene therapy that can make pe- normal people into titans. Okay. So it basically puts your body through a second puberty. Oh, interesting. And so you almost live forever, but yeah, clearly somebody is targeting the titans.
4: Right, right, right. Is it an angry human? Is it another titan gone bad? That's really intriguing. And it has a little bit of um, kind of an anime flair, too, for folks that are in mangas manga an anime, too.
5: Which is why I'm super excited.
4: I was, was going to say, I think that might be right up your alley. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely.
5: So what do you got for us?
4: Uh, so again, focusing on the young adult area, I was digging a little deeper because, you know, I mentioned those few titles, but there's also some ones that are kind of right underneath there, like The Fifth Wave or I Am Number Four that kind of mix more of a sci-fi with dystopian. Um, so I wanted to dig in a little bit deeper to highlight a few more... Unknown, I want to say, but not unknown, unknown. Um, They still circulate quite well. My first one is Unnatural Disasters by Jeff Hirsch. I think from a, if you're reading this from like a teen's perspective, um, like the fears within a, like within actual society of Gen Z and Gen Alpha about our world are really highlighted in a lot of these. Because I feel like they're very attuned to like the ravages of climate change and things like that in a way that maybe other, you know, those generational markers aren't. Here in this particular story, uh, Lucy is our main character, and she's part of the class of 2038, so not too far off, actually, at this point. She and her boyfriend have been planning to skip college and travel the world, despite the world they live in and 2038 being, like, there's instability everywhere. Um, so they're going to travel instead of go to college, almost like that, that one last trip, which is really actually their first trip because they're kids.
1: Right, yeah. <laughs>
4: While they're at prom, though, all the phones at the dance start to ping, and they get news that something horrible is happening, something new. Tragedy has struck Washington, D.C., and all the students retreat to their homes and their families and their neighborhoods. Lines of communication are down, Lucy's household lives in just a constant state of uncertainty, and that's the majority of where the story is set. So as she's kind of digging in with her own family and her own community via her home and her neighborhood, she digs through boxes in the attic. We get glimpses of her absentee mother, who's a jailed political activist. But the focus is interesting because it's really on how do you or is it even worth trying to live a semblance of a normal life during like the apocalypse, yeah. more or less, so to speak. Um, or is it even like I said, is it even worth trying? So it there's some moments of hope that are throughout there, but really it's that idea of how do you just live day to day in a dystopian world? And I, I, thought, I thought that was kind of a fascinating twist on it.
5: Yeah, that does sound fascinating. Yeah. And you touched on an interesting point, too. I feel like a lot of dystopian fiction and apocalypse fiction or post-apocalypse fiction kind of go hand in hand.
4: I think you're right, yeah, because it's, I mean, what better way to create a dystopian world than, like, it's all falling apart. Exactly. <laughs> it's all coming to an end, whether it's, you know, climate change destruction or extremism or acts of terrorism or aliens, there you go. We're titans now that we've, you know, humans have created. <laughs> <laughs> what's your what's your next one, Aaron?
5: So this is actually one of my favorites. Um, and I've heard rumors that after like 10, 15 years, a sequel is finally coming out. Ooh. It's called Shades of Grey by Jasper Ford. Not to be confused with the title of, with a similar name. In this one, the world is based on a hierarchy of what colors you can see. Oh. So our main character is Eddie. He's a red, which means he can see the color red and everything else are shades of gray. And Eddie is a good rule follower. He never deviates from the rule book. He's planning on marrying into a good red family and inheriting the family business. Um, but he has a little bit of a indiscretion, which gets him into trouble. And he's shipped out to a, a little backwater town as a punishment. And while he's there, he meets Jane... Jane's a gray, which is the lowest strata of society. They don't see any colors. They're just good for manual labor. They live separate from everybody else. Jane is super cute, but she also hates Eddie, hates any attempts to get to know her. And the um, entire book is narrated by Eddie after Jane has just pushed him into the maw of a carnivorous plant. Oh, my God. (laughs) This is not a spoiler. He tells us in the very first sentence that he's trapped in this plant. (laughs) And he's realizing that, you know, maybe he stumbled onto some things he shouldn't have dealt with. Maybe society is not quite as nice and ordered as he thought it was. And it's probably a little too late for him, but here's what actually is going on.
4: And so you're saying the whole, or the majority of the story is told from him just like in a plant, kind of thinking about what he's learned? Yep.
5: Hanging upside down (laughs) inside a carnivorous plant, being, huh, maybe I shouldn't have done this.
4: That is fascinating. That sounds like a writer's challenge that was given to themselves to like, Mm -hmm. okay, can I do this all from here? Uh, But also, like, man, the symbolism is kind of perfect without being too on the nose, it Mm -hmm. sounds like. Okay. It's a
5: fascinating book. Yeah. Um, a lot of layers to it. I've read it multiple times mm-hmm. and I'm so excited that there's a sequel coming out. I think it's going to be in 2024, but it's the British author, so I don't know when it's coming to the States.
0: Oh,
4: gotcha. Well, fingers crossed. Though, yes. But yeah. And also waiting that long in between books too. Hopefully it's like, oh, I got a great idea. It's mm-hmm. not a, the publisher wants another book because this was a hit so hurry up and write something
5: exactly all
4: right excellent excellent
5: so what do you got for us
4: uh my second one is called at the end of everything by Marike Nijikamp. i'm hoping i got that pronunciation right click on the links in the show notes if you're interested in this particular one this one just came out in january 2022 which i'm mentioning for reasons that will become evident in just a moment um so it's three points of view here uh, we've got Logan, who communicates via sign language, and she and her twin sister uh, developed this kind of like their own language between them. Uh, we have Emerson, who is a new resident of Hope, which I'll mention in just a second, who's also uh, non-binary, and so trying to fit in with the, within the society is, is really interesting for Emerson. And we also have Grace, a girl with some big, uh, we'll say, anger issues <laughs> that... Kind of winds up reluctantly being in charge of the group. Um, But what does that mean when you have somebody with anger issues as your leader as well? Oh, yeah. So the whole thing takes place in the Hope Juvenile Treatment Center, which is obviously ironically named because we're talking about dystopian fiction here. No one actually has any hope for the delinquent teenagers that have been exiled there. um, And the world is barely acknowledging their existence. It's not a great situation for them to be in. The problem and the, the crux of the story is that the guards at Hope start acting very strange and one day they just stop showing up entirely Uh, so now it's just kind of that Lord of the Flies style teenagers left to their own devices to create their own community inside the Hope Juvenile Treatment Center Uh, what they find is um, okay if no one's here we can band together and break out and they break out, you know, Frida, woohoo! But they encounter soldiers outside the gates and realize, or and 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 it becomes known then that there's a rapidly spreading infectious disease outside, and no one is allowed to leave their houses anymore. No one's allowed to travel without a permit. It is a total, you know, martial law, locked down kind of thing. That's why I mentioned the 2022 date as yeah. when it was written. So it's not specifically saying COVID or the word quarantines, used, things like that. But it's it's an interesting, I think, science fiction dystopian. Uh, Lens to look through within this particular story. Uh, So what that all means is like they thought their dreams of freedom were about to happen and now they're like, well, actually we are stuck here kind of for our own health and safety. And, you know, again, now it's that Lord of the Flies, kids on their own sort of thing. But no one is now watching out for them full time. It's just them. And supplies obviously are going to be limited. There's only so much coming in. It's obviously a place that the outside world can ignore. Like we have other, we have bigger problems. We're not worried about this group right now. The infection does end up working its way into the Hope Center. Ooh. So how do they survive in a world that doesn't want them in the first place and they're left to their own devices? But since we get three POV characters throughout the story, you get a really interesting kind of interpretation of what's going on from a leader perspective, from participant perspective, from someone who is only communicating through like kind of self-made sign language. Yeah. Uh, really fascinating way to kind of go through that particular story.
5: Well, it sounds great. Yeah.
4: Well, we also wanted to grab something because within this particular genre, it can get weird, even weirder than seven-foot-tall titans. <laughs> so we, we kind of individually picked uh, what we were referring to in our email as our, our bonkers pick. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want to start us off with your bonkers pick, Erin?
5: All right. So this one um, starts off on the surface as somewhat of a normal story, but what really makes it bonkers is how it, the author plays with formatting. Okay. So the title is Ella Minop. So not like the letters L-M-N-O-P, but the name Ella then the fish, and then the plant. Oh, okay, gotcha. Um, it's by Mark Dunn. So Ella Minope lives a happy life on the fictional island um, of Nallup, which is off the coast of South Carolina. Okay. And Nallup's named for Neville, uh, sorry, Nevin Knollop, who uh, was the author of the phrase, The Quick Brown Fox Jumps Over the Lazy Dog, mm. which uses every letter of the alphabet. And they have a big statue of him in the middle of town. And one day, a few of the letters from the phrase, which is, like, cemented to the side of the statue, fall off. Okay. And the town council decides, it's a sign from Nevin that we are not allowed to use those letters anymore. You can't speak them. You can't write them. They're gone. Oh. And so as Ella's story continues, every time letters fall off the statue, they disappear from the narrative.
4: Oh, like from the book you're reading. Mm-hmm. Oh,
5: So it's not like they're just not using the letters. She has to use different words then that don't include those letters. Yeah. So Ella is trying to fight for her own freedom of expression in a world that's getting increasingly restrictive while also trying to tell a story without using the forbidden letters.
4: Right.
5: Um, so this is called a lipogram. It's a type of writing style that doesn't use certain letters either for a chapter or for the entire book. So if you enjoy this one and you're looking for more of a challenge, um I'm currently reading another lipogram called Gadsby, which does not use the letter E, which is the most common letter in the English language. Yeah, that's so the writing style is really weird. It's not an um not a dystopian, but it's kind of a challenging read. But if you're looking for a challenge, P or Gadsby.
4: Sorry, that's just my mind racing. That is such a fascinating way. So speaking of writer challenges, mm-hmm. like holy cow. But it is dystopian for Ella, yes. in this particular case, because, like, her world is falling apart. It's, yeah.
5: Very like, restrictive. Very restrictive. This town council is just telling you how you can and cannot talk Express and write. Express yourself. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
4: So then, lip is how, how wide of a genre is lip, lipograms, you Lipogram. said? Lipograms. Lipograms. How wide of a genre is that? Is there a few, a good number of books you can dive into if you're interested in that type of writing?
5: Yeah, it's not super pre- sure. prevalent because it's super hard to write. <laughs> um, but I've read a handful of titles. Okay. Um, there was one, I can't think of the name. We can add it to the show notes for you, though, that uh, includes every chapter is a different letter. So, like, the first letter of each word begins with that yeah. letter, but just for that chapter. So, it's very bizarre.
4: Bizarre. That's the way to... Yeah, okay. Better than bongers. Bizarre picks. Yes. Uh, yeah, definitely dystopian, but that is kind of fascinating. Yeah I'm, yeah, I'm kind of curious about that now, too, myself. Well, my bizarre pick is called... Well, it's actually has yeah, two titles now. Um Because a movie came out about it, and so now the book has now changed to match the movie, hopefully to get more people to read it. It's called The Knife of Never Letting Go by Patrick Ness, a.k.a. Chaos Walking, which is the film version of it. Okay. This one, I I wrote up a a description because I don't want to spoil anything because it's one of those that, like, there's little things that are revealed, even early on, that I'm like, it's just fun to be part of the reveal as you read it. Okay. So I'm doing my best to not disclose too much while also trying to intrigue you a little bit here. Uh, So Todd is the only boy in a town of men, and there's a big deal of when you turn um, a certain age, I want to say it's 16 in the book, that you're, like, officially a man. Like, that's a big deal within this all-male society. And so he's the only boy. So he's about to become a man. Ever since what they call the settlers were um, of this town were infected with the noise germ, capital N, noise, like noise is the name of it. So they're infected with noise germ. Now they can hear everything everybody else thinks. Oh. So there's no privacy. There's no, like, you, you almost have to start to control your thoughts so that you're not exposing certain things to other people. And then also, how do you do that? Yeah. So that one's, that's. I think that's a really interesting hook. So in the midst of all of the noise... Todd has these little clues he's picking up on that he's like, something's being hidden from me. Like, he's convinced, like, people are acting different around him, or like the thought pad, like, that's thought pad. Like, yeah, I don't, okay, I don't, I don't wanna go into smart no, territory. So, something awful is kind of lurking there, and he's wondering, like, wait, once I become, you know, quote unquote, a man, once I have my next birthday, will they reveal to me? What do I even wanna know? What's going on? Do I even wanna stay here? Turns out, um, he doesn't. He flees. He flees with his dog. Uh, You know, simple, loyal best friend. Hostile men from his town are in pursuit. The two of him, uh, Todd and his dog, stumble upon a strange and eerily silent creature out in the woods and it's a girl. Okay. So, wait, okay, I thought this was a male-only society. So Todd's like, wait, reckoning, like, who is she? Why wasn't she killed by the germ like all the other females in the New World? Et cetera, et cetera. Um, So he's dealing with the townsfolk trying to find him, this new revelation. And what makes it a little bit more bizarre, if none of that was bizarre enough, is that the thoughts of the dog are also audible to Tom as well. Oh. So he and his dog have a very interesting relationship then when he can hear the thoughts of the dog. And it's not like well-articulated, you know, uh, language the way Tom has it. uh, Sorry, the way Todd has it. Um, It's communicated the way, like, short little bursts of, like, thoughts and instincts the way a dog would be. So he's got himself, uh, a newfound girl, and essentially a talking dog with him for his little apocalyptic journey. Deals with ideas of colonialization, groupthink, dehumanization, loyalty, helplessness, communication. Obviously, there's some sexism when you think all the other gender is completely eradicated, and now you find the girl out in the woods. But it's, I don't know, it's it's remarkably touching in an interesting way, but it's bizarre. <laughs> I thought.
5: Okay, yeah, it sounds fascinating.
4: It did not translate into a good movie. I have to say. Okay. It's a it's a book only kind of story. I think. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Well, hopefully uh, some of those picks are uh, intriguing you. Again, just check out the show notes if you want to do any of those titles. And hopefully they help you get through uh, another Cleveland winter as uh, we're dealing with our own, hopefully no snow apocalypses, But
5: exactly. you never know
4: being in Cleveland through the winter. So
0: thanks for listening. We hope to have sparked your curiosity to keep exploring something you heard today. Follow the links in the show notes if any specific title piqued your interest. We'll speak again shortly when we go beyond the stacks on our next episode.